Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. I'm joined today by a full house. We've got Dr. Dustin Pendle, Dr. Philip Lancaster, Dr. Brian Lubers, Dr. Bob Larson, and we've got a couple of special guests today that are going to talk to us about internal parasites, Dr. Jebba Cheladurai and Dr. Brian Heron. And we're happy to have everybody with us this morning. And as I, I mentioned, we get a lot of questions on parasites, and we're going to focus today on internal parasites or talking about worms that cattle get and how it can impact them. And we've got a couple thoughts there relative to what are some general thoughts, the life cycle, how does that work? Also, two big questions, when should we deworm calves and should we deworm cows? So we'll, we'll dive into those. Before we get into that, I think parasites are something that, that this is an area when we've talked about changes in the beef industry, this has really progressed, both internal and external parasites. And Bob, I'm going to hit you because I know that you remember the only option that we had for deworming cows at one point was what? Well, levamisole was by far the most common because I, I was fairly, I wasn't young anymore when ivermectin came out. And, and that was kind of the, one of the first really kind of new generation um, dewormers. And that, that changed a lot of things. I mean, we went from fairly <sighs> some control, but not the greatest control to where it was almost too easy. Yeah. Yeah. The, the levamisole came in what, how did you administer it to cows and bulls? Uh, an injection. And uh, it was a fairly large dose. Didn't you use the boluses? Oh, well, yeah, we did have the, no, no, we had both in our clinic, <laughs> um, oh. but uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember what the cost was. You don't remember, was, but, it was too long ago. <laughs> yeah, no, but we used the injection more than the bolus. And I don't know whether that was just because I didn't like my fingers getting chomped or what. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to jump into that, but maybe before we do, I'll, I'll ask Dr. Cheladurai and Dr. Heron, you guys want to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about you. First, I'm Jebba Jesus Chiladurai. Um, I'm a veterinarian and parasitologist, um, and I like to work with both small and large animal parasites, uh, mostly internal parasites. I'm Brian Heron. Uh, I'm a parasitologist here as well, veterinarian, um, and my research interest is in ectoparasites, but, you know, we're here both at the diagnostic lab to help support, you know, our stakeholders in diagnosing parasites and controlling parasites of any kind. So we, we both get to dabble in a little bit of everything. Yep. And there's a lot of parasites that impact cattle. And I'm going to hone us in today. And I mentioned at the top, we're going to focus on internal parasites. So when we think of internal parasites, often we'll refer to them as worms, but there's a larvae that the cattle can pick up it goes to different regions of their gut, depending on what species it is. And those parasites, the problem that we have is they love to get a free ride, sit in there, hang out, and take some of the nutrition from whether it's a calf or a cow. They're going to be eating that nutrition that was supposed to go to the animal, and thus we can see problems. In really severe cases, you can actually see weight loss and other issues but in most cases, Philip, we've talked about before, uh, feed to gain and some of those conversions, that's what we, that's what we see as a, as a potential problem. But I wanted to, I wanted to throw out to you guys and, and maybe start with Brian and Bob, what, what are your, some of your experiences from practice? And then let's jump into how those parasites impact cattle. 
Well, and, and again, I'm going to go back to the old days when we didn't have as maybe as many tools in the toolbox, and we would see clinical parasitism, a worm load that was high enough that animals appeared ill. And in fact, I think over history, probably internal parasites are probably the greatest harm to animals across the, the planet. And maybe I'm overemphasizing, but that was really a common reason why animals failed to thrive. Uh, and so we are really fortunate to live when we do now with some good tools in our toolbox. Uh, and so I've seen the cattle that were very thin, they'd have uh, swelling under their jaw, they would, you know, really be pulled down pretty hard uh, because of a heavy parasite load. You don't see that as much anymore. It's still possible, uh, but you don't see that as much anymore. Yeah, I, I'm young enough. I didn't see any of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and, you know, in my experiences with dairy, so it's, um, it's quite different. Um, and, you know, we talk about effective. I, I'm actually really looking forward to, to hearing Dr. Heron and Dr. Chella Durais today because, you know, for me, and through my professional career, parasites have just been something you manage them, right? Because they have economic benefits and, and that's what you do. Um, but hadn't it's not really an area I've spent a lot of time dabbling professionally. And we talk about this big toolbox, but actually I don't, I'm not convinced it's as big as we, we've got a couple classes. And so from the, you know, I talk a lot about antibiotic resistance. So I'm interested in their thoughts on how that, how parasite resistance and antibiotic resistance overlap and where they don't and kind of some of those topics I know we'll get into later. So Dr. Jebba and Dr. Brian, let me ask you guys, what, how big of a deal are parasites in cattle? Because we heard two perspectives, one that used to be a huge deal, and then, yeah, it's a, it's a problem, but it differs dairy versus beef. How big a deal are they in beef cow-calf herds? I would start by saying that it depends on the age of the animal that we're talking about and what kind of system the animal is in. Um, so beef calf, um, yeah, it is a big deal. They don't have the immunity to fight off those parasites. Whereas an older cow um, probably has immunity. And so is, is a mom cow really being affected by the parasites? Yes. Is she able to fight them off? Also yes. Now the calf um, is being affected, but is not able to fight it off. Right? So again, depends primarily on the age, um, and hence impact differs, and so there isn't a, um, a, you know, one rule that fits them all. Right. I think in tying some of the things that Dr. Larson and Dr. Lubers said is that we're really enjoying the benefits of having high-quality dewormers, and we're talking about uh, average gain rather than death loss or, you know, big morbidities. And so what our goals are now is to preserve that kind of lifestyle for a, a longer time and use our dewormers correctly so that we can still live in that luxury. Because when ivermectin came out, they said, well, parasites are no longer going to exist and parasitologists are going to be out of jobs and we're still here and there's still a problem. And so we're trying to preserve this luxury of like daily gain problems versus death problems for as long as we can. Because like Dr. Luber said, we have lots of products, but they're in a, a few smaller classes. And so once we lose one drug in a class, we'll lose the whole class. And, and we want to make sure we're preserving all of the drugs we can for future use. And I think that's a good point. because you talk about classes of drugs, and we've talked about that a little bit before, but there are many different 
products, which is different than the main ingredient, may go back to a single family. And that's the way we are with a lot of our dewormers come from a single family, the avermectins, or a lot of times we'll talk about ivermectin or some permutation thereof. But but I want to go back to, and, and Jebba, you mentioned, so it's it can be a problem in the calves, but often we've got our calves managed in herds. So is that problem equally distributed among all the animals in my herd, or would I expect there's some differences there? So uh, there are definitely differences. Um, some animals carry most of the parasite load, and we have this rule that is termed the 80-20 rule. Um, and the rule basically says that 80% of the animals in the herd carry only 20% of the worms, and 20% of the animals in the herd carry 80% of the worms. So it's a concept called over-dispersion, um, and they are over-dispersed um, even in a, in a herd of just calves, right? So if you have 100 calves, um, only 20 of them probably have most of the burden. So only 20% of the calves have 80% of the worms. Why don't I just deworm that 20%? Can I do that? That's kind of the, the magic thing that we're looking for is to find a way to really accurately identify those in a, in a efficient, cost-efficient, labor-efficient manner so that we could. And, you know, if Dr. Larson developed an eagle eye where he could go out to your herd and point out the really wormy ones, uh, then he'd make a, a billion bucks and, and could retire. Um, <laughs> because the problem with our cattle is out on pasture, we cannot pick out, you know, who they are. Uh, we would have to do some kind of fecal egg count to determine which ones are overrepresenting the population. And, and that means we'd have to go into every individual and test all of them separately. And now we're talking about the cost and labor associated with doing that. So, so the reality is I'm going to deworm them all, even though I, I could have gotten almost all my benefit from just deworming one out of five, I'm going to deworm them all. And so what's, what's the negative of that other than a little bit of cost? Um, so just deworming a whole herd with selection pressure. Um, and I think that might be a word that's probably associated with antimicrobials as well. We're putting a selection pressure. We're killing off the ones that are most easily killed in our worm population. And we are leaving only the resistant ones or the most fit ones behind. Which then oh. to make more progeny that are resistant. So to whatever product they're exposed to, and, and, and worms, like bacteria, there's a big population of them. So if we expose them to a product, there may be some of those that are already naturally resistant or that product doesn't affect them. So the more populations of worms I expose to, the more, as you, as you described it, selection pressure, I end up with some of those parasites that were already resistant they end up becoming a bigger percent of the population, which can become problematic. So we'll, we'll address that because I know Brian has some resistance questions he wants to ask you guys and compare and contrast with antimicrobials. But I want to talk about, and, and as we think about our parasites and what we've said here so far, interestingly, 80% of the worms are in about 20% of the animals. And we talked about the importance in calves. So I want to ask you guys relative to when should I deworm those calves? Because I'm using the term calves, but that could mean anything from a 60-day-old animal. I may have the opportunity to deworm up to a seven-month-old animal at weaning 
or even up to a year of age. When should I think about starting to deworm? Let's start on the lower end. Should I deworm some of those animals that are 45 to 60 days old? Sure. I think majority of um, operations maybe start around the three-month time period. And then we just will note that our younger animals, and you mentioned up to seven months into a year, our younger animals may need more help than our older animals, right? And we talked a few times where worm burdens are an immune system issue, And so we can think of this as a way to knock down the parasite load until the immune system can help out on its own. And so with our our calves, we may want to hit them earlier, so like the three-month time period, and may have to follow up again within that year uh, just to make sure we can keep that worm burden low enough that it doesn't overwhelm the immune system. Yeah, and as far as pure, uh, as far as the application of that pure age range, right, that might differ depending on where you are in the country and what production system you're in. So if you have spring calvers, um, then you know maybe in the summer might be the first time you wanna deworm them. Um, if you're if the animals are born later in the year, then that would be sometime in the fall. And so that's kind of the application of that. Um, one question I had was, how does it matter or how does it affect it whether I'm weaning those calves off onto grass or if I'm weaning those calves into a dry lot situation? Right. So if they're going on to grass, um, potentially where other animals have grazed, they could be potentially picking up um, more parasites from the pasture. If they are going into a dry lot situation, it's unlikely that they are picking up more parasites. So, yeah, that is a consideration as well. And that goes to our management practices, right? Anytime that cows are eating directly off the ground, we have a concern. And so if you're putting them into a a dry lot, but you're also just putting hay down on the ground or something on the ground for them to eat, then, you know, there may be some cattle that move in and have parasites and that that could get out of control very quickly. That's why we have like feed bunks and things so that we're trying to remove them from eating where they also poop, right? And remove that source of infection. Whereas on pasture, the source of infection is what they're supposed to be eating. So, so I may, and you guys may have to close your ears because I'll try to revise, the, remember the life cycle from what I remember in vet school. So you guys, this is not for, this is not for a grade. Uh, But essentially, the parasites in the gut, the adults, lay eggs. The eggs come out in the feces. Well, those eggs transform into a little larvae, and and you're not usually going to see it, but that little larvae climbs up on the grass or the hay or whatever it can, and then they eat it again, and that little larvae grows up to be a big adult, and then the whole cycle continues. So the, the importance of feeding on the ground or the grass pastures makes a big difference in their infectivity rate because they can, they can come back and share that infection. Yeah, A-plus on the life cycle there. <laughs> but Jeb, you mentioned uh, you talked about dry lots versus grass, where they're on grass, they might... Uh, have higher loads. What about stocking density? Does that come into play as well? Yes, definitely. So um, the more animals you have on a spe- on an acre, the more potential parasites that they are carrying around that acre, and the more eggs they produce that go onto the pasture. 
Um, so again, the higher the stocking density, the higher the likelihood of a calf or a susceptible animal acquiring that infection. I'm going to follow that up with a kind of a similar question. How does our grazing management impact that life cycle? Are there things we can do with our grazing management then to try to um, break that life cycle? Are you thinking like rotational grazing or something like that? Philip? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It, it can be challenging. Um, it does require management, right? And, and I think when we're talking about drug use, uh, one of the ways to lower the, the amount of drug you use in an animal for lots of things is to increase your management input and, and moving animals around. In this scenario, we want to make sure that we have a really structured system, right? Because those eggs that Dr. White mentioned pass out into the, in the feces, um, they'll take a few weeks to develop. And so if we have the timing wrong, we may circle back around to infectious larvae. And those infectious larvae can be on pasture for um, you know, a significant amount of time, depending on how hot, you know, it is and how sunny it is, right? They dry out on pasture. And so uh, the rotational grazing in the moving pastures can be useful. It just has to be done in a really thoughtful way. And, and that would probably be uh, having conversations with your favorite veterinarian, your favorite veterinary parasitologist, and making sure that we're thinking through it pretty, pretty smartly um, and, and not just moving them back and back across the road, back and forth every, every other week or so. I have another question for you guys. So it sounds like you're, we're, we're all pretty confident that deworming the calves is, is probably necessary and it's probably beneficial, right? Are we, are we in agreement on that point? And Jebba, you kind of mentioned something and I, I may have a specific question. So you mentioned timing of deworming, but um, one of the questions I used to get a lot in practice is how frequently should we be deworming? Is it a is it a once a year? Is it a twice a year? Is it three times a year? And and keeping in mind that kind of that balance of that selection pressure we're trying to avoid. So, what are your guys' recommendations? Calves, I would say, um, even across the various geographical and climatic um, differences. You don't really have to deworm more than twice um, in a whole year. Um, and that would be the maximum, right? Because you, I mean, they are picking up parasites on pasture. Um, they are also developing some immunity, right? And so you want to help them catch up so that their immune system takes over maybe a second time. Um, and then after that, when they're adult cows, they might only need it once a year um, or even not at all depending on how strong their immune system is and how uh, much of a, how, I mean, depends on the nutritional plane, right? So if you have a cow with good body condition scores, they might not really need it. Um, and so that's, that will be my thought on that. And that's a, and that's a good lead in because we, we wanted to talk about when to deworm adults. And so you mentioned a couple times a year, the one thing I would say, and what I'm hearing is that life cycle is pretty important because of those parasites on grass. So if I'm if I'm in a dry lot environment, the frequency of deworming is going to be different than if I'm in a grass environment. And those eggs don't live forever, depending on what region of the country you're in. 
They, they, if you're in the north, they're not going to overwinter well on the pasture. And if you're in the summer, they're not going to oversummer well on the pasture. So wherever your most uh, miserable time of year for us is, that's also not pleasant for parasites if, you, if, you, if you're thinking about where they like to go and travel. So I, I want to talk about a little bit about should we deworm cows? Because Jebba, you led into that, that, that maybe once a year, but you also said it differs by region and region of the country. Right. So if you're in the southwest, um, that might look very different from if you're in the southeast or here in the middle of the country, because the amount of time that the parasites like to survive on pasture may differ, because we have great summers here in Kansas, and we also have relatively mild winters compared to, say, North Dakota. So our, our uh, parasites surviving on pasture, they can overwinter on pasture, um, and it depends on, right, like how, how much uh, cold you have to kill them off or how much heat you have to kill them off. And I feel like here where we have moderate temperatures, we might ha actually have parasites, um, parasite life cycles continuing all through the year, as opposed to, say, somewhere which is very dry, where summer temperatures can kill off your larvae. Um, or somewhere that's very cold where winter temperatures can kill off your larvae. So again, I think that's where I said your climactic condition might dictate how many times you want to deworm because that dictates how much your par your animals are exposed to those parasites on pasture. So it seems, go ahead. It seems to me that like even Kansas might be an interesting place because the southeast part of the state has pretty heavy rainfall and um, a pretty heavy stocking rate. You know, not not as heavy as maybe a little bit farther southeast, but quite a few. I mean, not very many acres per cow. And then you go clear, maybe the other stream, the northwest or the northeast corners of Kansas, pretty dry and much, much greater uh, number of acres per cow. And so even within the state of Kansas, you could have veterinarians that have pretty different opinions on how often or whether even cows need to be dewormed. Because I would imagine that in the southeast, deworming cows may be more important southeast Kansas or southeast United States. <laughs> and and if I lived in the northwest corner of Kansas, that may not be nearly the risk. Is, is that, Am I thinking right, basically? Yeah, and I think that highlights one of the things is that we can't get up here and give you a cookbook for you need to deworm at this month every year all across the country. And, and that's where if you're trying to build a deworming program, maybe speak with your veterinarian and see what's best for you. Because really the way that you use these drugs most appropriately is when it's tailored to your situation. And when we see it used inappropriately, it's applied in a way that would work all the time everywhere and that's usually overuse of drugs. And so when we tailor it to your farm, then we can also control the parasites appropriately there, but in a way that's right for your spot. I'm saying, I know we're running short on time, but I just wanted to talk about the economics of this. I know you guys have actually been talking about it because I've heard the term costs, I've heard the term labor. Uh, and then I think somebody even talked about, you know, it's necessary. And so any thoughts on, you know, we know what the costs are. The cost of product are pretty cheap from everything I've read, uh, but, but labor could be an issue because uh, you've got to get the uh, you know, cows in. What about the benefit side of this? What are some of those benefits? I've heard the word average daily gain mentioned once. We, we know that 
there is a fitness cost to having worms, right? And it, it does affect daily gain. It is much more so in the animals that are highly parasitized, uh, younger animals, um, and it, it may decrease. Again, I think the issue is our ability to pick those specific animals out. You would have to be weighing every animal um, and seeing who was not gaining like the rest of the group uh, to decide who needs to be treated. And I think we're stuck in this whole circle again of, unfortunately, we don't have great ways and you're already putting the labor costs into bringing everyone in, you know, rounding all the the animals up and then the cost of dewormer may be low so then now your incentive is to deworm everyone so if we do that we just want to make sure we're doing that in, a, in an appropriate fashion hopefully to preserve dewormers even though we're deworming the whole herd at the same time and i and i think that's a, a great kind of summary of this topic in that you have to have a strategy understand what works for your operation how do you apply it focus on those calves not necessarily on the cows, but that may vary depending on where you are in the country. And we've really appreciated you being on. We look forward to, we've got some more questions we want to ask you. So we're, we're going to try to get you back on in the future, but we thank you. And if you have questions for us, you'd like us to answer on the podcast, you can always send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. Mm-hmm.